Who decides medicine prices? How are vaccines made? Do you have questions about the healthcare industry? Welcome to 19 Conversations. Today, we're asking Thomas Kuoni, Director General of the International Federation of Pharmaceutical Manufacturers, IFPMA, have you dropped the ball on AMR, antimicrobial resistance? Well, I'm Sue Saville. Thank you for joining the conversation. Thomas, welcome. Let's set the scene to begin with. What is the scale of the problem with antimicrobial resistance? What would a world look like without effective antibiotics? The scale is huge. And it's actually frightening. The world without antibiotics would be a world without modern medicines. Uh, the discovery and development of penicillin by Fleming was probably the biggest invention and contribution of pharmaceuticals to modern healthcare. And what we sadly recognized over the last few years is increasingly superbugs are resistant to antibiotics, even new classes of antibiotics. And when you look at what does it mean? It means overall already now 700,000 people a year in the world are dying from resistance to antibiotics, from antimicrobial resistance. It could get much worse. A report commissioned by David Cameron in 2014, uh, which was written by Lord O'Neill, Jim O'Neill, estimates that it could be 10 million people dying from AMR by 2050. And 10 million people dying means that's more people than die from cancer every year. It's scary. So with the scale of the problem that, that you outlined there, and we've known about it for so many years, with COVID-19 on the stage and all the attention that's taken, did the world, including the pharmaceutical industry, in fact drop the ball on antimicrobial resistance? Yes and no. Because no, we still have five or six big pharma companies investing in antibiotic research, although there's no sustainable market right now. That's reason for hope. But on the other hand, we had even more pharma companies over the last year that dropped out. And we have no viable future for the many biotech companies in the field. And when we see how society now so ill-prepared for COVID-19, for SARS-CoV-2, has seen the industry rising the occasion, I think it is important. And we realized as an industry, just shouting and screaming that if you want novel antibiotics, you need to create or recreate a sustainable market. That's not good enough because politicians have seen the problem, but it's easier to sign a high-level G7 or G20 statement than sign a few billion dollar checks. Uh, and I think that's where we in the industry, we realize that if we do not address, if we do not respond from us as first movers to it, it might be difficult to trigger the debate which is so much needed. Therefore, I did go to the 20 plus companies and made the argument, this is a huge problem. The industry is blamed because the industry is seen as rich, profitable and not responding to the societal expectation about novel antibiotics. And Luckily, I was successful. Obviously, everybody knows there is no big money in this. That's why the industry's decision to invest a billion dollars in the setting up of this AMR Action Fund, with, I think, a realistic hope to bring two to four novel antibiotics to the market over the next 10 years, I think that was truly important. 
But at the same time, it had to be combined with a clear declaration. This only makes sense as a bridging fund if we do want to address and solve the need for novel antibiotics, governments need to respond to. And I must say I felt heartened when we launched the AMR Action Fund publicly in July in Berlin with three ministers, the Health Commission of the European Union and simultaneously in Washington, D.C. And in Tokyo, the response was, wow, the industry, you know, doing something which was unexpected in the midst of COVID-19, not only really showing its critical importance to tackle COVID-19, but willing to do pretty much the same on AMR, that could be the game changer, which hopefully will lead to political market reforms. And as you say, the valley of death, the the failure to get a return on the investment, the lack of incentives then for pharmaceutical companies to carry this right through. Uh, What then is the industry doing then to try to find a new model that will address that gap? There are two elements uh, where the industry is active. For example, in addition to being the head of IFPMA, the Innovative Pharmaceutical Manufacturers Association in Geneva, I'm also chair of a coalition, private sector coalition called AMR Industry Alliance, where in addition to big pharma innovative companies, we have generic companies, we have diagnostic companies, and we have biotech. And the elements we talk about there is we look at How is it with antibiotics in the environment, manufacturing discharge in wastewaters? And we have really raised the game there in terms of setting higher standards. We look into how can we make sure that doctors or vets are prescribing antibiotics or using the way they need to. And uh, quite a number of companies are now paying their medical representatives, their sales reps, not for selling the highest volume of antibiotics, but actually teaching the doctor how to use the antibiotic. But we have also looked into why is it that we haven't had any market reforms. Now, one of the elements which I notice personally is in the political debates, it was quite a challenge to tell politicians this market failure, there's no sustainable market for research into antibiotics. And it was challenging for a simple reason. They see big pharma as highly profitable. They questioned, why are you not living up to your societal responsibility to what the public wants from you? You invest so much in cancer, but why not in antibiotics? It's simple. If you come up with a new cancer drug, you will be rewarded. For example, the Alzheimer research has been extremely frustrating over the last 40 years. Companies have invested billions of euros or dollars into Alzheimer research, not with that much success, with many disappointments, but they continue to do so because they know if they are successful, there will be a reward at the end of the research. In antibiotics, that's not the case. Therefore, the lesson we learned from that was if we want to trigger a political debate and we need a political debate, rather than waiting for politicians to move first, we as an industry need to seize the responsibility. And that's how leaders from more than 20 companies got together about a year ago. And they decided we probably need to be seen as first movers. And first movers doesn't mean we shout and scream, we sign a petition, but it meant we actually 
are willing to invest in something which right now business-wise is hard to justify. And they came up with the idea of an AMR action fund, $1 billion uh, from the industry invested in research for novel antibiotics based on public health objectives, looking at what does WHO call for, what does the CDC, the US call for, and hopefully bring two to four novel antibiotics to market approval over the next 10 years. But at the same time, be very clear, this only makes sense and this will only lead to sustainable change of the system if we get reforms. If instead of paying per tablet or per injection, the antibiotics are valued actually for what they are, quite often novel ones, they are reserved. They shouldn't be, you know, have a price per pack. They should have a price for, you know, when you go into elective surgery, arthroscopic knee surgery, I'm, for example, I'm a skier. That means that after a couple of decades, your knees may hurt. You have an arthroscopic knee surgery and you get routinely a antibiotic to prevent, you know, an infection if something goes wrong. If that doesn't work, you may end up in the intensive care unit. And instead of paying 50 cents for cheap generic antibiotic, that might cost tens of thousands of euro. And that's what we need to, to really, we need to have a new system uh, where the proper value in terms of the cost of antimicrobial resistance is reflected in the value of these new antibiotics, but not in the price per antibiotic, but in a different way. So how, how could a new model that is sustainable, as you say, and has cross-governmental support, how does that play into the EU's new pharmaceutical strategy? Is there enough support there, do you think, to carry this forward? I must say I feel encouraged about recent debates. We have had, when we launched this AMR Action Fund in Berlin in July, we had the health commissioner from the European Commission, we had three uh, ministers uh, from three different EU countries, and all of them said, AMR is such a daunting problem, one needs to act. And when I look at the new EU strategy, for the first time really, I see that the European Commission clearly indicates we need to move beyond what we did in the past, subsidizing early research. We need to create so-called pull incentives, which means we need to create a reward for success and not subsidize uh, the efforts. And that, I think, could really be a way out. And we have similar initiatives in the UK with the UK pilot. We have discussions in the US. There's a bipartisan act in Congress called the Pasteur Act, which also really wants to incentivize those who are successful with research. Because what we have seen over the last 10 years is yet a number of initiatives uh, partly funded by the UK government, partly funded by the Wellcome Trust and others uh, in the US health authorities, they subsidize research. But what we find out is then when it comes to getting these antibiotics to the market, there is no market. And I think it's not just a question of money. Some people have said maybe one should nationalize antibiotic research, but actually not true. You really need the pharma experience, uh, 
Dame Sally Davis once told me, only big pharma has the skill sets to actually decide, sadly, this project is not worth bringing to the market. Therefore, we need to stop it. But also, only big pharma has the skill set for the development of a medicine to bring it through the regulatory agencies to also have the manufacturing uh, capability, all these skill sets. And I think that's why you really need a combination of biotech companies and of big pharma companies in this field. Uh, and what's exciting, of course, is seeing with COVID-19, um, the response from the pharmaceutical industry globally. We've seen that it, a worldwide problem requires a global response. What, what lessons then can be learned here, and particularly with reference to the speed of drug development? I think one of the references about the power of partnership, uh, one of the elements, for example, to reduce the cost of antibiotic development would be reforms in regulatory approval. Antibiotics are notoriously high risk. They are notoriously difficult to develop. Therefore, we have seen over the last few months how regulators from across the world have really made it possible to develop new vaccines or test new treatments at record speed. I think that's important. We need also this sense of, you know, public health duty. We need to talk about, and we saw that in COVID-19, COVID-19 costs the world economy $375 billion per month. That's the estimate of the chief economist of the IMF. Now, AMR costs a huge amount of money, long-term, trillions, and when you look at the cost of getting novel antibiotics into the system, it would be marginal compared to the impact of AMR. The problem is AMR is a silent killer. We now see, you know, the papers are full of the thousands and thousands of people who lost their lives to COVID-19. And I think we are all moved and shocked about the health impact on our families and our lives. AMR people, they die quietly out of the headlines. I once said one single U.S. priest coming back from West Africa in 2015 and diagnosed with Ebola caused actually more investment in research on Ebola and more headline than the 700,000 people already dying every year from AMR. So what do we need to do? What would you like to see done to put this right at the top of the agenda? I think it's very important we have a chance that this is on G7 agenda because if the top seven economies of the world, uh, the US, the UK, uh, Germany, France, Italy, Canada, Japan agree we need to move collectively, because we can't just leave this to the Americans to shoulder the cost of research. We need to be in this together. And we establish a master plan where we commit to introducing incentives for the research. And that's where the EU pharmaceutical strategy could be so relevant with pull incentives. Then I think we can see a real game changer. And I do hope that 2021 will give us this game changer. And with the AMR Action Fund then, it was meant to be operational by the fourth quarter of 2020. You've already opened applications for people to put in for funding for novel antibiotics. Is it on track for that? Have you had applications already? 
We have a lot of interest uh, from small companies with projects, but in terms of really fully operational, one has to be uh, realistic. When we sat down with the world's leading experts from WHO and other institutions, they actually all told us, don't rush it. Because sadly, when you look at the WHO analysis of the antibiotic pipeline, which means antibiotics which are right now in clinical development, the conclusion is not really that much significant. What has happened over the last few years, thanks to institutions such as IMI, Carbex, or the Novo Repair Fund, uh, which is a uh, Novo Nordisk initiative, there are more interesting molecules in preclinical development. And therefore, be patient and wait until they are ready to come into the early clinical trials. That's why we said we need this bridging. We need to talk about the five to 10 years to get two to four novel antibiotics, because realistic, that's the time it takes to develop a new antibiotic. So you mentioned that then by 2030, you want to have two to four to have a, a new arsenal, a new weaponry of antibiotics. How realistic is it that those will come to pass in the next decade? I do believe and we have worked with excellent consultants. We had the world's leading experts on the field, the CEO of Carbex, for example. We have had the Wellcome Trust, who have invested uh, a lot in the debate in the field of AMR. We did sit down with Dame Sally Davis and many others. When I look at it, they think it's actually, we have a good chance to bring these two to four. But they all agree, if it's not accompanied by action in terms of market reform, it would be a drop in the ocean. It wouldn't work as a sustainable solution because bacteria will always change. We do not need two to four new antibiotics and then the problem is solved. What we need is, on the one hand, clearly a much more sensible approach how to use antibiotics, whether it's in food or animal or whether it's for humans. But we also do need a steady stream of new antibiotics, maybe two per year and not two to four per 10 years. And I think that's what we need to create. And you talked about partnerships and the importance of, of collaboration. Um, in your own background, I understand you've been a journalist, you've been a diplomat, you've had many roles within the pharmaceutical industry. How does your skill set help to straddle the challenges and the gaps that exist and, and to bring people together in those partnerships? I think one of probably the skill sets which I used successfully, it wasn't that easy to convince 20 plus CEOs to come up with a billion dollar for something <laughs> which is unlikely to offer return <laughs> on investment. Therefore, uh, obviously, I'm not such a bad uh, talker. Uh, <laughs> the second one is in terms of the narrative. Uh, when you look at the narrative on AMR, one of the challenges is you do talk about 700,000 people dying already now, the 10 million which potentially could die by 2050. That is really, it is frightening, but the bigger the numbers, the less personal it becomes. Therefore, as a former journalist, one needs to look into, maybe one could describe the problem in a different way. 
AMR, who knows what AMR stands for? Antimicrobial resistance. It sounds uh, terribly scientific. Therefore, you know, how do you uh, spin the story? And also, honestly, if you do have a story, I came across a senior guy from the OECD who told me, who happened to work in the field of AMR, he attended a conference in Israel in the Negev Desert, and he was bitten by a snake. And he ended up in the ICU. And he ended up in, a, in the intensive care unit, not because the snake was poisonous, but actually the bite got infected and the antibiotic didn't work. That kind of example, or I know somebody from Barda, for example, who is a hobby gardener, and he cut himself when he was uh, cutting his hedges. These individual examples, you know, it could happen to us that you have a kid or, uh, you know, wife, and they have a routine surgery and something goes wrong. And if it goes seriously wrong, some of your next could die. I think we really need to give it a human face and the human picture. And I think there, as a former journalist, I know a little bit how to spin a narrative. Well, I very much uh, hear what you say there. On a personal level, uh, perhaps we've all got examples of that. I certainly remember sitting with my son on a drip in hospital on an antibiotic to save his legs and possibly his life after he got cellulitis that was marching up his legs. So I'm sure there are many of us who have examples of that. And as you say, it's the it's the hidden problem and the hidden killer. So there's so much of a challenge out there uh, with the AMR Action Fund now out there and the all the priorities you've outlined there are huge challenges ahead. Thomas, you've put some fantastic points together there for us and painted us the picture of the issues, of the opportunities that there are for partnerships and the global response. Um, 2021 is coming up and I'm going to grant you one New Year's wish, Thomas. What's it going to be? What would you like to see uh, for your New Year's wish in 2021? I have to admit I'm uh, there uh, excessive and I go for two. Because I do hope <laughs> that I will get the COVID-19 vaccine, which is safe right. and works. We'll and I'm a, taker, <laughs> I'm a taker, as Mark Keenan was. Uh, and the second one really is that we see action, not just talk from G7. I think the, the UK there, supported, I would expect, by the European Commission and leading economies, they should really commit to action and commit to measurable action so that we will see that things are moving. And if that happens, I'm optimistic about us having done something really reasonable and good by creating the AMR Action Fund. Fantastic. Thomas Querney, Director General of the International Federation of Pharmaceutical Manufacturers, thank you so much for joining 19 Conversations. And thank you to everyone who's been listening. If you liked this podcast, please click the subscribe button and be the first to know when we release our next episode. And please leave a rating for this and a review. So until our next episode, we'd invite you to join the conversation on Twitter with the hashtag questions inspire solutions. Thank you to all. Bye for now.